the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for the modern parent working in the modern world. Join us as we interview leading experts in their fields to unveil the secrets working parents need to succeed at work. Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast. It's a podcast for people who want to succeed and thrive at work while they have kids. My name is Tom Spiggle. I'm the founder of the Spiggle Law Firm, where we represent people who have been wrongly terminated or afraid that they might be. And I am joined today by my co-host, Lori Mahalik-Levin, who is an attorney as well and the founder of Mindful Return. And Lori, I'm going to turn it over to you to tell us what Mindful Return is and introduce our guest for today. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Tom. It's great to be on with you again today. This is Lori Mahalik-Levin. I'm the founder of a program called Mindful Return that helps new parents transition back to work after parental leave. It's a four-week online cohort-based program that new moms and dads can sign up for themselves or that their employers can offer to them as a parental leave benefit. And today we are featuring three wonderful moms in the tech sector, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about each of them before we get their own personal working parent stories from them directly. First, we have Henry Lowe, who is the lead of Airbnb's parent group. She's the mom of two boys, ages four and a half and six, and she says she's seeking to go from surviving to thriving as a working parent in tech. She truly believes that the time is ripe for disruption. Second, we have Shadia Sagala, who is the co-founder and CEO of Kinside, a Y Combinator-backed tech startup that connects employees to a network of qualified daycares and preschools nationwide. Shadia got the idea for Kinside when she became a mom of two little children in her last company, HoneyBook. Her one- and four-year-olds keep her busy when she's outside the office. And for those of you not in the tech industry, I'm told that a y, the Y Combinator is a prestigious accelerator in uh, Silicon Valley. And finally, we've got Vanessa Loader, who's a women's leadership expert who teaches mindfulness and leadership development programs for Fortune 500 companies. She's on with us today because she's also the co-founder of the Parents in Tech Alliance, or PTA, whose mission is to create positive and meaningful change for parents working in technology by helping them develop and share best practices. Vanessa has a six-year-old girl and a three-year-old boy, both of whom like to ring the calm bell on Vanessa when she's about to lose her marbles. I presume we can all relate to the losing the marbles, and hopefully we won't on this podcast. So first, I want to turn to Henry. Henry, can you tell us a little bit about your own personal working parent story? Yeah, so I think my kind of realization as a working mom in tech kind of came to life when I went back to or started a new job in tech at Pinterest when my second was 10 weeks old and I also had an 18 month old. So I had two babies and went back to work and was so excited, but also quickly realized how overwhelmed I was. And what I found is that, you know, I joined a mom's group there and realized what a big lifeline it was. And it really kind of showed me the disparity that I was experiencing as a parent and at work. And then finding this amazing group of working moms that was allowing me to kind of sort of reconcile between the two. And it kind of started this just passion project for me, which is like, women need the support. And we needed a way to really reconcile between these two identities. And, you know, four years later, as a co-lead of, of Airbnb 
as parents group, this is kind of the work that we're focusing on, which is that how do we support each other? What are the changes that we need so that parents don't feel like they have to choose between being a parent or being a successful career person? Wonderful. Thanks. And welcome to the podcast, Henry. Shadia, let's turn next to you. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal working parent story? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm coming at this from the perspective of having been a co-founder of a tech startup myself, a fast growth tech startup called HoneyBook. This is in my previous role. And during that time, I had kids. And so that completely transformed, obviously, my life and my perspective on what it really means to have a career and have a life. And the interesting thing is, is that, you know, even though as a co-founder of this company, I had all the privilege, right, of, you know, setting up like all the policies and, you know, sort of being my own boss and taking the time off that I needed and so on, which is a lot more privilege, you know, than most employees have for themselves. It was still really, really hard, right, for me to make the transition back to work, not only after a really hard postpartum with my first kid, but then, of course, just dealing with the daily hassles of like childcare, right? Drop off, pick up, you know, being financially, emotionally, and logistically kind of stressed all the time because of childcare. And so for me, it became an imperative as a co founder of this company that employed about 60% of, you know, the company's employees were women to really set a great, you know, culture and modeling in place. And so, you know, we looked at, Things like paid family leave, which should be pretty standard. But of course, unfortunately, in this country are kind of the luxury. But, you know, we invested in paid family leave for all kinds of family leave, not just parental, but, you know, really taking care of a loved one. And then we even looked at postpartum benefits, right? How are we supporting employees in those first few, and particularly mothers, in those first few weeks and months after having a baby? But then it occurred to me, that the one thing that we were really missing in the company was in supporting our parents in childcare. You know, like really having a meaningful direct intervention, you know, more so than just flex work time, right? Or like, you know, unlimited PTO, but to actually have a direct intervention and helping folks in finding and affording childcare. And when I went to find an employee benefit for employees, I found that there was really none out there in the market. So that was my uh, impetus for founding Kinside. Great. Thanks, Shadia. Yes, I completely agree that going back after you have kids is hard, really, no matter what your role or what company you work for or mm-hmm. whatever. And I also love your point that as a founder, you can set the example for the other folks in the company where you're working. Third, let's turn to you, Vanessa. I would love to hear a little bit about your own personal working parent story and about the impetus for creating the Parents in Tech Alliance. And tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah. So my own working parent story is um, our first daughter, Eva, after she was born, I at the time was running my own business. And so I thought I will take as much leave as I want. And my husband, who worked in finance, was going to take, I think, two and a half weeks. And he ended up only taking about one week off after our daughter was born. And I just remember this morning, she was very colicky. And I had undiagnosed postpartum. I actually think postpartum is not a big enough label. I'm a big fan of Dr. Alexandra Sachs's work with identifying matrescence as a term that's like adolescence, where your hormones are shifting and all this stuff is happening. It's an identity change. So anyway, I was going through undiagnosed matrescence (laughs) and postpartum depression, and I had a colicky baby. 
And I remember this morning where my daughter screamed straight from 4 a.m. until 10 a.m. in the morning for six hours straight. It was the first day that my husband went back to work. She screamed for six hours straight. She had like explosive diarrhea coming out the back of her diaper that I had caught in the palm of my hand that morning. I mean, it was just a bad day. And I remember sitting on the bed, rocking her, just crying. I get emotional just thinking about it, feeling so awful and alone. And then I imagined my husband at work with his latte in a quiet office. (laughs) And I just had this moment where it was like this message came through me. I thought, why is this the default scenario? I am home alone with this child. I'm not okay mentally, physically, or emotionally. My husband doesn't feel comfortable taking more than 10 days off after the birth of our child because of the cultural pressure at his organization. He took a month off for our honeymoon because he actually felt like that would be more accepted than taking off more than two weeks after our baby was born. So I just, it was this real turning point for me where I felt like this is not okay. I'm not okay. And this, this situation, like the default for childcare and going back to work in our country feels really broken. So it was a very strong personal pain point of mine. And then I was already working with most of the top tech companies in the Bay Area, running leadership development and mindfulness programs for them. And as I was working with them, I was ended up connecting with the head of the mom's group or the women's group or the parents group at almost all of these organizations. And as I was talking to them about their own leadership struggles, it kept coming up again and again that not only did they not have the policies in place that they needed to feel supported, but even beyond that, there wasn't the data to track how things were, how well they were supported. And there wasn't, we call it in the PTA, you shouldn't have to win the manager lottery to have a good experience as a working parent. And I would hear these horror stories where even at companies that had very generous policies, two different women under two different managers would have completely different experiences as working parents or a mother and a father. And so I became, I was meeting with the head of the parents group from Twitter, Liz Devlin at the time, and she and I decided to co-found the Parents in Tech Alliance to create positive and meaningful change for parents working in technology. And we started off just getting together in person to share resources and best practices. And then it's expanded now where we have a whole different, a whole bunch of areas that we're focused on. And We can talk more about that, but that was the original impetus for it. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, we've definitely talked about the manager lottery here on on the podcast and how it shouldn't have to be that you just managed to get the perfect supervisor. Also, to everybody listening, if you haven't watched the TED Talk that Vanessa referred to with Alexandra Sachs talking about matrescence, please, please go look it up. It's probably not more than 10 minutes and it's really worth a watch. So thank you, all of you. For the next question, I do want to start with you, Vanessa, because I think you're well positioned to take a bird's eye view of the industry, having founded the PTA and worked with a lot of different tech companies. So can you zoom out a bit and tell us if you had to generalize, how would you describe what it's like to be a mom in the tech sector these days? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, I love what Henry said about trying to go from surviving to thriving. I would say that the most of the people who are really passionate about the PTA, they tend to be new parents and parents with children under the age of five. Those are the ones who I see struggling the most and who are in the biggest transition period so far. And, you know, it's overwhelming is the short answer. There are even the women who I've seen who are, and dads who've been able to, who feel like they're more supported with their manager and their organization, 
they're questioning things all the time and they feel like, you know, either the policies aren't supporting them or they don't have the cultural support that they need. And even when things are all going really well, they're juggling, you know, a million balls in the air all at the same time. So it's overall, I would say it doesn't feel incredibly sustainable and people are sort of putting their heads down and trying to get through it as best they can. Not great, but thank you for those comments. I suspect the others can really relate. Shadia, how would you describe what it's like to be a mom in tech these days? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I can speak to this both personally, but also um, just from actually selling into tech companies, right? So Kinside is an employee benefit. It's an enterprise employee benefit. So that means that we actually go and pitch companies, right? To say, hey, your employees really need support in the childcare department. You know, wouldn't you like to, you know, have a meaningful benefit for them, right? So this is what we sell. We're selling all day to companies. And I would say that, uh, like, I suppose my outlook is is cautiously optimistic. Of course, you know, as Vanessa said and Henry, like it's not news to anyone that the workplace as it exists is simply not built for working parents and certainly not for working moms and not even for working dads, right? As Vanessa said, like a dad who takes more than a week off is shunned culturally. So like that is not news, but what we are finding you know, is that our company is actually, like Kinside is growing faster than we expected, right? That means that we're actually onboarding more companies, more clients who are willing to invest in their employees. And that is really heartening. So, you know, what I do think that tech companies take to, you know, do tend to take the lead, right, in terms of offering more progressive benefits, not only out of the kindness of their heart, but because they also know that it makes them more competitive, right? This is a hugely competitive field. Um, the talent wars are fears. But honestly, we're also finding that more traditional companies, you know, big enterprise companies are also starting to ask themselves and not even ask themselves, their employees are asking them, you know, what are you doing to recognize me and the role that I have outside of the workplace, right? The role that I have as a mother, the roles that I have as a father, as a community member, as a caretaker. And I do think that we're being, that we're seeing a huge shift in the workplace and in society and how much caregivers are recognized, you know, versus even five years ago. Yeah. And I think this leads to a great point that the market for things related to helping working parents is really expanding exponentially, which is, you know, giving us hope. On the dads in tech version of this podcast, we had on Hugh Malazzi, who's the founder of Ujama, who also created, you know, a solution to help parents create villages together. And I suspect you'll see even more and more tech startups being focused on solving the problems of working parents these days. So I appreciate that perspective. Finally, over to you, Henry. Can you also tell us a little bit about what you think it's like to be a mom in the tech sector these days? Yeah, I mean, as Vanessa and Shadia mentioned, there's so much overwhelm and also just looking at the systems that are in place right now. And something that I've been trying to look into a lot is just really looking at these systems and kind of examining what is it about these systems that are holding a lot of women back and not supporting them to be successful? And one of the things I've kind of grown to recognize is that so many of these systems were are the same systems that have been in place for so long, and they're very masculine. They were the ones that are carried over from the way these businesses have been run for years and years and years. And what we're starting to see is just these examining the systems that need to be changed at their core. And if you look at some of them, you, you know, one thing I've 
encouraging a lot of companies out there to do is look at your performance evaluations and the, the structures that allow people to grow in their careers. And what is the language that we are using? Are we looking for the qualities and valuing the qualities that truly recognize both women and men? And, you know, this is a gender issue and it's also a parental status issue. And, you know, are we really going to give people the career opportunities when we see them showing empathy and care for others and enhancing the growth of other people? Or are we really only going to reward those that are going to be cutthroat and competitive against other people? And I think that people are starting to speak up to say, actually, it's not okay for us to only reward the type of leaders that actually don't create the systems that allow people around them to be successful. And, you know, I think we're seeing this a lot in these anti-bias trainings and the microaggressions and raising this awareness. And I think parents feel this intensely and moms feel this twice that, right? So as women and as parents, there's so much of that pressure that they are, when they return to work, and I'm sure you've probably looked into this, it's just that kind of like that hit that you get when you come back and you don't feel valued for these amazing skills that you bring to the table. And these skills that even as a parent, you come to the table with like, I know how to prioritize and empathize like nobody's business now that I'm a parent. And I want that to be reflected in my career opportunities as well. And how do we make the systems kind of reflect that in parity? And there's such a need for it. And, and that's kind of what I mean by I think the time is right for this disruption is that we are needing to look at the structures, the language that we use when we refer to how we support men and women in the workplace. Mm, that's so eloquently put. Thank you, Henry. And you're really speaking my language here. There's a woman who took the Mindful Return course who created a watercolor we have on the Mindful Return website somewhere that says, you know, working mom ninja skills and has a list of skills. And, you know, it's intended to put on your office wall or door to say like, look, I have all these skills and I'm going to remember that I have them and I'm going to talk about them in my workplace. So I love reframing the conversation that way. And I'm now going to turn it over to Tom to ask our next question. Yes, absolutely. And I really appreciate all the, the feedback. I mean, I think this is really heartening, not only on this show and on others, that there really does seem to be a groundswell for, you know, treating this as a solvable, I don't want to call it a problem, but a solvable life stage in the workplace. I mean, when I was a new parent some, you know, a decade ago, you know, I mean, it was really difficult for me to return to work, but it never occurred to me that this was something other than my issue to deal with. And I just needed to put my head down and, you know, work my way through it. And it's really good to hear people, you know, on this program and others say, no, this is a something that we can recognize at a systemic level. And, you know, and Henry, as you mentioned, you know, any of you have read the book, The E-Myth, which is, a, you know, a classic book, particularly for entrepreneurs about, you know, a lot of entrepreneurial endeavors suffer from lack of good procedures. And, you know, why can't we have good procedures that recognize the input and the struggle that, that working parents have rather than, as Vanessa said, and I love this term, you know, the manager lottery, uh, which is really, we've heard that over and over again, Lori and I have on this program that I don't know how many people we've had say what really made the difference for them in the workplace were not even the procedures necessarily that were on paper, but the manager that they had I and mean, whether or not that manager was understanding. So I appreciate those insights. Well, now I, we've been at the 10,000 foot level. I want to drop to the granular level. And Chadia, I want to start with you. 
and tell me were there any supports in particular that you found helpful when returning to work as a working parent? So I love the story, I guess my story, which is I was the first woman to become pregnant in the history of the company, right, at HoneyBook. So, you know, at this point, we're about 30 to 40 employees. The company's about 120 now. And we had many dads and we already had parents and mothers, right? But we hadn't actually had a pregnancy in the company. So this was an opportunity for me, imagine, like not having actually gone through parenthood myself and only having an idea of what it might be like, right? And how laughable that is uh, having gone through it now that really nobody can explain to you what it's going to be like. And so, so I'm really glad for that. I actually, as I mentioned, I had to think about instituting, you know, let's just start with the, like our paid family leave, which, you know, is kind of the most obvious first thing that you look at when somebody is pregnant in the company. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm so career ambitious and, you know, I have such an important job and I couldn't possibly stand to take, you know, more than a few weeks away from work. And that was all very silly, obviously, because once I had my baby and I also had postpartum depression, I couldn't care, right, any less about the emails that were sitting in my inbox when I just could not possibly feel you know, I was just living day to day with this baby who needed all my attention. So anyhow, to, so to come back to what I actually did is I'm really glad that I thought, okay, well, this is not just a policy for me. This is a policy that is for everyone after me. And so the first thing I did was to establish a four-month paid leave for birthing mothers. And by the way, my thoughts have changed a bit now on, you know, sort of who gets the time and who doesn't. But at the time, you know, nobody, here's the thing, I was charting my own course and I thought, let me do a four-month paid leave. And thank goodness that I did, right? Because I ended up taking every single day from that. So I guess as a starting point, I would say, and I would exalt that paid leave is, I mean, it's really fundamental. And I would ask each and every single company in the United States of America to step up to the plate and say, look, the government is not willing to take this issue on, unfortunately. But the employer-based system, the American employer-based system is particularly unique in this country in how it sets social structures for Americans. And so I'm really hoping the paid family leave will become universal. But anyhow, just one company at a time, that's how we started HoneyBook. And I will just say that, you know, without even going into what actually came after that, literally just being able to take every single day off of those four months without regard to emails or team organizational problems was key. And so I would say, you know, what then what what we practiced in the company and what we, you know, I came back and was like, hey guys, guess what? We should not bother people when they're on their paid leave. Like I get it now. And the same thing, and you know, we said the same thing for mothers and for fathers. And we were really encouraging dads to take that time off because we were also seeing that fathers were not taking the time off. But the, you know, first and foremost, the most important structural support that I had, and that is just should be absolutely minimum to any person is to give them you know, some solid three to four, six months, I would even advocate upwards of a year of leave so that they can have time to uh, recuperate and really reestablish themselves and get good footing. Because when they return to work, they are going to have zest and pep in their step. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I wish I could 
remember his name. He was a frequent contributor to Inc. Magazine. And he was talking about this whole issue of maternity and paternity leave. And, you know, these businesses saying to him, some of them saying, you know, like, hey, you know, this seems excessive. How can we afford to give this time off? And he was like, look, don't he said, as a good business, you've got to be able to handle any kind of disruption for any position. So don't just frame it as maternity and paternity leave, although that's very important. But people are going to quit. People are, they're going to have family members that get sick. They're going to get sick themselves. So just as good business practices, you need to be able to have people coming in and out of your workplace. And as a business, you've got to be able to, to function and excel with that. So I think that's a great point that, you know, this is, this should be something that be looked at as a business matter, not just a personal one. Well, let me ask you the follow-up, uh, Shadia, which is, were there any supports that when you were turning that you did not have that you think it's important for people and new parents coming up behind you to have when they're re-entering the workforce? Yeah. So, you know, as a company, I just have to give props to the organization, to my co-founders, to the wonderful employees of Honeybug that did allow so much flexibility and warmth in my return. We had a great mother's room. We had, you know, any perk that you could ask for, we would probably serve up. The only thing that was seriously lacking was childcare support. Right. And so literally imagine that you're, you know, not imagine, I know that everyone on this podcast understands, you know, going from being on leave to having to return to work literally means that you have to leave your kids somewhere. And who that person is or what that place is, is a struggle to each and every single family, no matter where, what company industry or where you sit on the pay scale. Companies today are not offering a way for employees to feel like there's a safety net and like there's actual quality care lined up for them to return to work with peace of mind. And so that's the one thing that I, you know, I did like everyone else does. I went on Yelp, I went on Google, I asked around. And then about two weeks going uh, from my time that I was supposed to return to work, I started to panic because I still did not have somebody to take care of my little tiny baby. You know, and there's so little still. I think we forget that, that even three or four months is these babies are newborns. And, you know, two weeks in, I still didn't have care. And about one week before, I finally magically lined up care. And I kind of, you know, hope for the best. And I felt like I was jumping off of a cliff when I was returning to work and hoping that this person was going to be, you know, good for my baby. But I find that this structure is missing from 99.9% of companies out there, which is what we're aiming to fix at Kinside. Yeah, well, and I think that's a great fix to have because, you know, when you think about it, it is sort of archaic <laughs> to it, as you put it so well. Like, okay, time for you to come back to work. Good luck finding a place to stash your kid because chances are you don't have family that live close to you. So I think that's a identified a great problem that needs some help. All right, Vanessa, let me turn it over to you for the same question. Looking down at a granular level, were there any supports when you were returning as a working parent that you found particularly helpful? Yeah, well, since I run my own business, I think it's a little bit less applicable. But what I think I'd love to touch on is having talked to all of the top tech companies, Google, Twitter, Yelp, Facebook, Pinterest, and aggregated all of what they're doing. Let me speak a little bit to that. So first off, what Shadia touched on, equal paid leave for all caregivers. So not having primary and secondary where one parent or one caregiver gets more or less leave. Equal paid leave. And the sweet spot right now seems to be six months, actually. So for if every company could just do that, equal paid leave for six months. It's interesting that, you know, HP just rolled that out and Netflix actually just 
called it back from one year to six months because they found the coverage was a little bit too challenging at the one year mark. So for where we're at in our country right now, I think six months is a reasonable target sweet spot to go for. And then after equal paid leave, one of the things that a lot of the parents in the PTA have talked about that's been helpful and that seems to be gaining momentum is to have a transition period back to work. So at Pinterest, they found 30% of their employees have one child under five. So a lot of these tech companies are also finding that their workforce is now aging into parenthood and they really need to step up their policies. And having flex hours and job share programs, Google does job shares, Pinterest has flex hours that both We've heard a lot about things about those policies. And Pinterest also has a transition period for parents coming back from work where you can come in one day a week for the first four weeks after your leave is over. And Google actually just instituted a two-week ramp-up period where parents can work 50% for the first two weeks when they come back to work. And there's a woman from Google who was at our last meeting who said that was the thing that helped her come in with more ease. And that was the number one. I mean, obviously, Google has a ton of perks, but that was one of the things that made the biggest difference for her, she said, was that having the ramp up period was incredibly helpful. And then the third thing that I've heard about a lot anecdotally is these different types of support groups that end up being formed. You know, some companies have more formal coaching when people return to work at Yelp, they do a very informal thing where when a new parent comes back to work, an existing parent from their parents group is assigned to them as a mentor, takes them out to lunch their first day back, checks in with them practically every day, their first week back, but at least once a week. And eventually it goes to once a month. They're being taken out to lunch and someone's checking in and just saying, hey, how's it going? What do you need? What's going well? What's not going well? someone who's already been through that transition and knows what it looks like. So those are some of the more tangible things that I've heard about that have really made an impact. Yeah, we've heard that a number of times on this program. I think that's a really excellent point to bring up to allow some time to ease back into the workforce. You know, even if you've had a good maternity or paternity leave, to jump straight back in with both feet can really be bracing. And I think it's something that's often overlooked. But getting, going back to you, Vanessa, and I, know, I mean, you know, the fact that you can set your own schedule, I don't want to, you, these are good sites to get from you too, because a lot of workers, whether they're gig workers or otherwise, you know, have that flexibility as well. But even for somebody who had the freedom that you did as your own boss, when you came back as a working parent, were there, own support, were there supports that looking back, it would have been good for you to have that you did not? Uh, it's a great question. You know, for me, I said, oh, I'm going to take six months off. And eight weeks after having my daughter, I said, I need to go back to work because this job is too hard. (laughs) Being a parent by myself at home all day with this screaming infant who I love. And so I actually, for me, we ended up kind of scrambling to hire a part-time nanny and get some childcare in place so I could go back to work sooner because I did not want to have six months off as it turned out. And then what happened is I thought I was going to go back to work and we we got some support for me. And you know what happened? I didn't go back to work. I ended up going to yoga and going on a walk when I had a free hour and you know meeting a friend for lunch and kind of getting my sanity back. So I think in hindsight, I wish that I had more support in place to have little mini breaks for myself away from our lovely baby, you know, and if I had kind of anticipated that more in advance and had put that into place earlier, I wouldn't have had to scramble uh, and get it. And I always tell moms and dads, 
whatever the amount of support you think you need is, triple it. And that is maybe what you're going to need. And it's very rare that I find a parent who says, I have too much support. I have too many babysitters. I have too many relatives coming over to take the baby off my hands for 30 minutes or an hour so I can take a shower. And so I highly recommend just getting more support than you think you're going to need, whether that's through family members, babysitters, whatever you can find to patch it together. But you know, you can't have enough self-care in that first year. You're literally giving your life force to this other human being. And so you need a lot of energy coming in to kind of balance that out. Oh, great points. All right, Henry, you will be uh, the last one in this round of questions and same one to you on a granular level. Were there supports that you found particularly helpful as you returned to work as a new parent? Yeah, so I didn't get to take advantage of a lot of the supports because I didn't have a four-month leave. I only, at the time of both of my children, I only had two weeks of paid leave. So I took, I think the California federal state, I took that time around three to four months unpaid myself. So Shadia, thank you as a small business owner for taking the step to actually do those things and to provide that leave when you know the government isn't supporting you to do that. So I appreciate and this is the work that even though it's past my time to do this, I truly do think it's important. And, you know, the parents group at Pinterest, it truly was. It was a lifeline. I would spend so much time in that room just crying when I needed to, getting advice. I mean, we would talk everything from, hey, here's our quarterly planning ideas to do you have any ideas for solids? And we could have that beautiful, complex conversation while we were pumping. And it felt so honoring of the identity that we were going through and that we could be these beautiful, capable women, you know, having that. And, you know, at Airbnb, you know, my kids are older, I was past all of that, but just seeing our age group coming into being new parents, these are the support systems that I think they need. You really do need to be seen, to be understood. And so a lot of the support systems that we're trying to build right now is just this sort of, you know, tribal, very feminine quality of being heard. And one thing that we did was started doing a listening session with our executives. So we, you know, people have been sharing feedback, but it didn't feel like it was justified. We didn't have quite have the data. People still felt like a minority. And then it kind of came to a point where I was like, you know what? I don't think we can truly make change until we are understood. And so we did a listening session where we had inputs from over 350 parents globally shared feedback and themes on what works and what doesn't work as a parent employee. And all of that was given in a listening forum where a couple of our key executives were there to truly just hear the day and life of a working parent for them. And really what it did is this, I think that was just the key to empathy and that empathy leading to understanding. And from that understanding is where we are now starting to look at change. And for the parents themselves, what they got out of it was just this feeling heard and feeling heard made them feel valued. And from that sense of value is where they feel empowerment. And I think, you know, most of these parents, you look at them, they don't necessarily want to go and be home. That's not what they're asking for. They're not always asking for more time off. What they're asking for is ways to be successful in the workplace, but not to give up the parent identity. And so there is this beautiful kind of balance that we're trying to establish right now of 
how did you start to understand what I need in order to be successful so that I can be the, at my best contributing to this company? And so it's really a win-win for everybody, but we do need to take that moment to start to really listen and understand deeply what parents need. I think that's a fantastic idea. You know, there's that, I forget the name of the show, where, you know, the CEO goes and, you know, works at the low-level positions within his or her own company to get a real feel of what it's like and things that they may have forgotten when they, if they did work their way up. And I think, you know, why not the same thing for a new parent? As you point out, Henry, like, let them, you know, just let them hear what's going on. Because you're right. I mean, what they may assume parents need is not what they're really asking for. Uh, well, Henry, I think you answered both of my questions and that response. So with that, I will turn it back over to you, Lori. Mm, thanks, Tom. And yeah, thanks to all of you. I love the continuous focus here on these support groups as a serial starter of uh, working parent groups myself, both at my prior employer and at my current law firm. I definitely can relate to how much support and connection these groups can provide. And I also wanted to say... Yeah, what a brilliant idea it is to have that listening session. And getting ideas like that is why I started an email list a couple of months ago called the Working Parent Group Network or the WPGN, which is really just for the leaders of working parent groups at various companies and industries and organizations so that we can all share ideas of how to bring out those parent voices within your company or organization. So feel free to email me, lori at mindfulreturn.com if you're interested in getting on that email list. It's been a great way of cross-pollinating ideas, and I'd love to keep that going and have some parents in tech inform us of the things that have worked for you all as well. Um, I'd love to turn to our next question now, and I think I will start with Vanessa. My question here is, what changes do you see happening in the tech sector that are affecting working parents? Even if those changes aren't specifically about working parenthood, where do you see the winds blowing? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, one of the reasons I was passionate about co-founding the Parents in Tech Alliance is because I do feel like the tech sector is at the forefront of investing in employee well-being and employee wellness. So there are a lot now, there's a lot of mindfulness and wellness programs that companies are offering to their employees. And that is having kind of an umbrella effect of thinking about how companies can support working parents and their well-being as well. So that's an overarching kind of theme that I see. And it's sort of a tailwind that we're getting on this movement, which is great. And in terms of sort of where I see things going, there's advocating for paid leave feels like the, the next big thing, both within organizations and as a nation in the United States. You know, we're one of the only developed countries that doesn't have a federal program of paid leave. So that it's just insane. We rank next to Papua New Guinea. So that's kind of the big theme that I see in terms of where things are going. And it feels like the next tangible outcome that a lot of people are focused on. And then after that, the other trend that I'm seeing, especially in the tech sector, that's very much focused on data, is how can we start collecting the important and relevant data that we need to measure some of these things? I mean, a lot of tech companies are saying that they want more women in leadership, and yet we haven't been able to really move the needle. And similar with parents, a lot of people have asked, well, what is it that parents actually need to feel supported? Yes, all of these policy changes, but after that, when it comes to managerial support or cultural inclusion how do we measure that? And how do we measure the success of some of these initiatives? One of the things that we're focused on at the PTA is to add caregiver as an EEO1 reporting metric. 
you know, we know the mommy wall is the number one contributor to the gender pay gap. Mommy bias is the number one harassment type, and it's growing globally. There's actually a Japanese term for maternity harassment in the workplace. So making that EEO one metric a thing to help hold leaders and companies accountable and start quantifying the data, that's something I see as a real trend is starting to focus on caregiving as its own category. You know, Melinda Gates just started an incubator all around caregiving, not just for parents, but caregiving in general to start to come up with some better solutions. So I would say that's another trend that I see. Wonderful. Those are all great advances. Henry, let's turn to you. What changes do you see happening in the tech sector that are affecting working parents? I'm going to piggyback on some of the things that Vanessa is doing and also being part of PTA. We are actually looking to implement data in our own company. And I think what's happening right now is there's so much focus on a lot of tech companies on transparency around diversity and understanding what URM or underrepresented minority groups are, how they're being affected. And so we do our own company surveys and well-beings of, you know, how people are doing in the company. And we're starting to demand that these URM groups like Parents Act be part of that data cut. And I think what's happening is that everybody's agreeing that while there may not be an EEU-1 driving us to gather that data, we need that data and people are starting to demand it. And so the diversity with transparency is pushing us all to actually do what's right before we're being triggered by some mandate or negative press. And I think that, you know, this is one of the wonderful things about being in tech is that we have all of these, they're not necessarily, I don't like to think of them as competition, but in terms of differentiating ourselves in the market, it's important for people to truly step up to the plate and truly not just be the lowest common denominator, but setting the bar for what we need to be doing. The other thing I see is that we're starting to look at flexible works ideas. And this is, again, reflecting the things that parents need. What does flexibility look like? And there's an organization called Work WRK that has been, did a wonderful study on quantifying the different ways that companies can implement flexibility and actually create flexibility and have an ROI because of it. You know, I think it's, people used to say, how could you afford to do that? How could you afford to give people part-time work or men leave? But the reality is, is that's just a mindset. That's just a way that we're framing it. And to force ourselves to really think productivity can have a lot of different ways that it shows up and really working to enhance those. Mm, wonderful. Thank you. And finally, over to you, Shadia. What changes do you think are happening in tech writ large that you think are having an effect on working parents? So I think one of the macro trends actually that transcend the tech sector, but certainly tech understands, is that there's this big thing called the freelance economy happening, right? And more and more people are opting out of the traditional workplace. And I don't have data for this yet, but my hypothesis is that women are at the forefront of, you know, this huge sea change in the way that the economy works. At, you know, HoneyBook, we, you know, this software for creative freelancers. And what we found was that 85% of our customers buying our freelance software were women. So this is just my hypothesis. And I hope that there's data on this. I believe it's being studied more and more. But I think that if we look deeply, I think that women are really opting out of the traditional workplace in droves. And so what that means for companies, not just tech, but in every industry is that companies understand that 
they're competing literally against the freelance economy, right? They're the talent that are trying to attract and retain, not just women, right? But men as well are folks who are saying, look, I want to have, I want to control my destiny. I want to have a life that suits me. I want to have a lifestyle that is in line with my values. And this company, this organization does not suit that, right? So people are more and more opting to create their own environments, to create their own workplaces. And companies are realizing that if they don't keep up with what those values are generationally, they are literally going to lose talent, not to their competitors, but actually to the freelance economy. Mm. Yeah, so well put. And I, I suspect you're right on that. I know that there, there's tons of data on the gig economy and the percentage of American workers who are, in fact, doing their own side hustles, etc. And I would strongly suspect that a large percentage are women. So we'll have to look into that as well. I'm just really loving this part of the conversation. I mean, it's stereotypical to think that, well, tech is ahead and forward thinking and brainstorming new ideas and breaking down barriers. And it seems as though all of you are doing just that in the parental space. So thank you for sharing with us the direction that tech is going and all the advancements that you see happening. Back over to you, Tom, for our our wrap-up questions. Great. Thank you. Well, and I want to take this window to, to address caregiver discrimination that Vanessa was talking about earlier and a chance to plug my own book, You're Pregnant, You're Fired, which you can get for a dollar on Kindle that I talk a lot about not only pregnancy discrimination, but caregiver discrimination writ large. And then another great organization that's addressing this problem from a legal standpoint, and they work with both employers and employees, but it's called Work Life Law. And there, we'll put this in the show notes, but it's worklifelaw.org. They're at the Hastings School of Law, Joan Williams, and Cynthia Calvert are really sort of some leading lights in the law used, how law can be used to support caregivers, not only parents, but caregivers of all types. And also just to focus on the legal angle for a second, for postpartum depression, this is an area for that most people do not realize in many instances is covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act and gives you the protections uh, that act enforces. So um, with that, let me turn it over to our final question, and I'm going to start with you, Henry, and that is, what is your number one piece of advice that you would give to a new parent returning back to work? Thanks. For new parents going back to work, I think that my biggest advice is establishing the support that you need in your workplace and don't throw away your identity as a parent. I think a lot of parents have feel like they have to hide a lot of that. and actually demanding that support from their managers, having their managers truly recognize the skills that they bring to the table. And it's not like they went on a pause and went away and those skills disappeared. It's to really kind of get their managers to see them for the skill set that they are bringing as a parent and as a viable contributor to the workforce. And getting their managers to truly recognize, you know, how much leadership they are bringing And yeah, I think it's just like changing the language that we use when we talk about parents. Excellent point. And then a follow-up, is there one book in particular that you have found useful that you refer to or did as a new parent returning to work? Oh, that's tough. I kind of took a hiatus from reading for a long time as a parent. I think a lot of parents have that feeling. I don't have a book, but I will say that I did use podcasts and I had... I used Unruffled. I really appreciated Unruffled for a lot of the stories that really just made me feel heard as a parent. 
That's great. I don't think I know that one. I'm going to have to check that one out. And let me say for, for all of you, it doesn't have to be a book. Yes, it could be a podcast. We've had people talk about magazine articles, anything that had a particular impact on you. And then my final question for you, Henry, was there a, and for all of you, feel free to recommend your own platforms if, if this is what you would like. Was there one piece of technology, you know, an app, whatever it may be that you found really helpful in managing your life as a working, or still do as a working parent? Shared Google calendars. We wouldn't be able to survive without it. Yeah, amen to that. Okay, Shadia, I'm going to turn to you now. Thank you, Henry. I'm going to turn to you now with the same question. What is your number one piece of advice that you give to a new parent returning to work? Gosh, so I'm going to take a slightly different angle here, and I'm going to be speaking to fathers. So can I just, I want to ask dads to take their time off. So I'm sorry, I know that's not really directly addressing your question of how to get back to work, but I want to ask dads to make a stand and be an activist, right? Because actually taking the time off that your company offers or that the state offers, whatever state you live in, is a form of activism and resistance, it seems. And when fathers start to really take up that space of parenthood, it actually will create more space for the moms in your organization or your partners to also you know, feel more, you know, to start to change the workplace culture. So I'll say that. I, you know, just to Henry's point, it's really hard to like demand or to ask, you know, to be heard and to uh, be supported at work. That really, I'm going to ask also managers to please have a conversation, just a one-on-one. And like, you know, I think Vanessa said, have a weekly check-in for that month. Hey, how are you doing? How's this different than before? Just a basic conversation. That's the greatest thing we can do. I also love the Unruffled app. It is, I still listen to it or the Unruffled podcast. It is kind of a savior as I'm, you know, have two toddlers on my hands right now. And as to what app is a life savior, <sighs> you know, the Google Calendar is a good one. Henry, I'm just totally going to ditto you on that one. Yeah, that's kind of a tough one to beat. And I think that's a great point about fathers and, you know, the how there are different perceptions and they're, you know, there has been some research that suggests while there is not the same fatherhood penalty that mothers often are hit with, that men, at least historically, have been, you know, it's fine for them to have kids and to be the alpha male and to have the picture on the you know desk and all that. But if they ask for time off to be with their children, they are actually uh, can be penalized and discriminated against more heavily than women in some instances. And I think it is an important phenomenon to realize, and you're absolutely right, Shadia, that men need to, you know, to stand up and to take leadership roles and to show leadership by asking for that time off. And we've been, Lori and I have been privileged to have a number of fathers on the show who are doing just that. I think it's a great point. All right, Vanessa, for you, returning to you, what is your number one piece of advice you'd give to um, a new parent returning to work? Yeah, mine would be manage your spoons. And I'll explain what that means. There's this woman, Christine Mezrandino, who wrote a blog post about lupus that went viral. And Christine was sitting in a restaurant when a friend asked her, what's it like for you to have lupus? Christine picked up a bunch of spoons from different tables and she held one up and she said, think of a spoon as a unit of energy. Every day, a typical person has, you know, 50 to 100 spoons when they wake up in the morning. You use spoons for everything. It costs a spoon to take a shower. It costs a spoon to make breakfast for your kids, a spoon to get dressed, to drive to work, etc. Maybe if you have a really stressful meeting at work, you know, that's 10 spoons. By the end of the day, most people have five to 10 spoons left to talk to their partner, go on a walk or whatever. 
And Christine then threw away all but four of the spoons. She held up four spoons and she looked at her friend and she said, I start the day with this. I got no spoons. So she was forced to really ignore what our culture tells us is right and successful, which is high productivity, you know, never sleep, busy, 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 because her body wouldn't let her do that. And she had some really powerful insights as a result of that. And I love teaching people about the spoon metaphor. I think it's a really great way to manage your energy and just think about managing your spoons and everything you're doing is taking spoons. So how can you kind of create new spoons for yourself by doing a lot of self-care, getting a ton of extra support, making sure that you have time alone every single day, even if it's just five minutes a day. You know, I have a free meditation challenge that's just five minutes a day. And I've had so many working parents tell me, gosh, just having five minutes of quiet time is game changing at that stage in life when you're having children, you know, kind of constantly, you're constantly dealing with other people's needs. So it's really important to manage your spoons. That would be my number one piece of advice. And I think you got a two for there, Vanessa. You answered uh, the number one piece of advice and the number one article. But if you have any book or any other thing else you'd like to recommend, that'd be great. But then finally, the final question would be, do you have an app or a piece of technology that you can't live without as a working parent? Okay, yeah. Well, in terms of books, I also really love Lizanne Stromberg's book, Work, Pause, Thrive, uh, because it normalizes the fact that so many successful working parents have had either a part-time or a flexible schedule at some stage in their journey. And often they're hiding those gaps in their resume because it's not culturally acceptable. And so then new working parents are thinking they're the only ones struggling to make it all work. Or if they're if you take your foot off the gas for a little bit, it can feel really scary. And she really normalizes it and has a lot of data in that book and case studies showing you that it actually doesn't hurt your career in the long time, in the long term, and you'll be just fine. So Work Pause Thrive is a great book. In terms of an app, well, two things. I use the app Insight Timer a lot. It has a ton of free guided meditations including some of my own, but I don't listen to my own because that doesn't really work for me. But you can set a timer, you can listen to a guided meditation, any duration of time. They have meditations and audios for kids. They have sleep ones if you have a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep, which a lot of working parents, your circadian rhythm can get so messed up. So I highly recommend that app. And then the other thing that we do, it doesn't work when you have a newborn, but when your kids are older, is we have, and I learned this, I was giving a talk at the daily method this, to a bunch of entrepreneurs. And one of the women said, they have one of those little kind of Tibetan singing bowls in their house. And you could use anything for this, but anything you can chime. And whenever anyone in the house is getting a little bit too worked up, any of the kids at any point, anyone in the family can go ring the bell. And when the bell is rung, everyone has to stop whatever they're doing and take two deep breaths. So I heard about this and I came home that night and said, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to do it. And I told my kids all about it. So we set it up in the living room. We decided where we were going to put this little bell. And by less than two days later, I got, I was the first person to get rum in the family. I was in the kitchen cooking dinner, starting to get angry about something, you know, at my kids and my son, three-year-old, he ran right over and he rang the bell on me. I had to stop and take two deep breaths. So I think that's, it's the little simple ninja moves, little like tools like that that you can use to bring a little more calm into your day as a working parent and kind of laugh at yourself amidst the chaos that, that work for me. 
I love that idea. I think I'm going to go home and immediately put some kind of gong or something in my house for us to use. That is, that's brilliant. Well, listen, Shadia, Henry, Vanessa, I really appreciate your insights. It's been a great episode, and I'm going to turn it over to Lori to help us wrap it up and talk about what's coming up next. Great. Thank you so much, Tom. Yeah, I love that bell idea as well. And I'm a huge devotee of Insight Timer. I feel like I use it every single morning when I do yoga and do some meditation, and it keeps me from spending more spoons quickly, I feel like, in the morning. That's a really wonderful image and analogy there. So thanks for sharing that, Vanessa. I also just wanted to say one word about fathers taking leave. Yes, absolutely. I'm a huge advocate for doing away with that primary caregiver distinction in the parental leave policies and really encouraging dads to take leave. And I wanted to say that if you are a dad looking to get the language that you need and the data that you want to be able to make the case to go ahead and take the time that you're being offered. Uh, The first part of the Mindful Return Working Dad course actually works through those exact issues of how to have that conversation with your manager and how to talk to your company about the fact that you're going to take the full amount and, and talk to your team about taking the full amount. So I just wanted to put that out there as a resource. We've really, really loved having all three of you on today. Thank you, Henry, Vanessa, and Shadia for being with us today and for all of the wonderful ideas that you've shared. Please stay tuned for our next episodes where we'll be turning to yet a different sector and talking to moms and dads in that industry. I believe we are on tap to talk to some folks in the accounting sector next. So stay tuned and thank you for joining us today. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Parents at Work podcast. Are you interested in learning more about our show, our hosts, or today's guest? Do you have a comment or question you'd like to share with the Parents at Work community? Then contact us at www.spigolaw.com slash podcast. We'll see you next time.